for six weeks now, we have been studying together, looking at the events uh, of the end times. The, uh, we started off as a study of the second coming of Christ, and it's been anything uh, and much more than that uh, in this six-week study. Uh, I apologize to you <clears throat> for the length of the messages, and I promise you after today, I won't do that again until the next time. But there was, and I started off by saying this easily could be a several month uh, series of messages, but I hope you're getting the gist of how things are going to end. In the video that we that we just saw, uh, are you ahead of me or am I ahead of you? Okay, we used to leave it up there. Um, in the video we just saw, it says, see how the story ends. We are, God is telling us a story, even now, in the world that we live in now, and God is marching to an ultimate conclusion that he alone controls. We don't know when that's going to take place. I, I have to be the first to declare to you, unless you want to say it about me first, I have no clue. I have no idea. I shouldn't say I have no clue. I have no idea how all of these things are going to happen specific details of them but the Bible has been very clear in presenting them to us and we just have to sometimes use our heart and our head in understanding what the word of God has to say to us so we have been studying in these six weeks the six week series and uh, I just want to remind you a very thumbnail of the uh, of the items of things that we talked about our first week we, we launched in the place we're going to be today where we're going to end up. Revelation chapter 22. And three times in there, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. Now that's, we started off our series with that. The Bible concludes its message about the story with that. Because of all these things, we've got to be careful that we don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. The details kind of haunt us and captivate our minds. I wonder what this means and I wonder what that means. But that we need to understand what it's really all about is Jesus is coming back. One of the things that this study has done for me is it has driven that home and etched it in stone even more clearly than I had it before. And I want you to know, I was absolutely convinced before. But I understand that it's not just the way things are going to kind of come together in the end. But rather, this is the plan and the purpose that God has been working even before he created man who sinned. All of these things have been prepared before creation. And God is marching faithfully, consistently to that conclusion that he has for this. Now, let me, let me say, uh, this past weekend, I've, I've been thinking about this message today, knowing that for at least six weeks this would be coming, that um, I was overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed with the fact that God is doing all of this for me, for the likes of me, so that uh, I, who, if I can step into Paul's shoes for just a moment and talk like him, 
who of all the people who've ever lived that are the least uh, worthy of God's grace and mercy and goodness and righteousness, that he is working this hard to bring about this plan so I can be with him. Amen. Now, every one of us could take that same sense, but I've been overwhelmed by that, and I hope that you will as well today. So Jesus is coming soon. The second week that we, that we studied, uh, <clears throat> we looked at, uh, put that up there, please. Find my notes. Okay. Uh, the second week that we studied, we talked about the signs that were in the sky of Jesus' return. There are things that God has said in his word. No man knows the day, no man knows the hour, but you can know the signs. You can know the seasons. You can see that things are marching to his plan and his purpose. And when you see this, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and also uh, uh, in Luke's gospel, when you see this, look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. It's about time. We've seen some of the signs of the stars in the heavens that are taking place and have taken place even now that indicate Jesus' soon return could happen before we finish this message. Okay? Then the third week in our study, we talked about, about the rapture of the church, the calling away, the gathering up of the elect, those who are the, who are the believers in Jesus Christ. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to timeline all this, but that's what we looked at was the rapture of the church. A lot of folks say there is no such thing as a rapture. Some folks say, well, the rapture doesn't occur where you put it. You know, all of these, all of these things, and I always leave room not only for a different opinion than mine, but that anybody can be wrong. Okay? But we, I'm going to timeline that in just a moment. We talked about the rapture. Then we talked about the seven-year period that was called the tribulation, the great, terrible day of the Lord. Uh, that's a time that I don't know about you, but I'm hoping to avoid. I hope I'm right uh, that the church is already taken away during the, the uh, tribulation period. But the tribulation is when God's wrath is going to be poured out on the world. And then uh, after that, and last week we we looked at in our fifth in our fifth study, uh, we looked at the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on this earth, and we talked about the fact that uh, people are still going to be on the earth, non-believers will still be on the earth, and they will be born through a thousand year rule of Christ, but Jesus Christ will reign and rule over the entire world for a thousand years. And it's going to give us an, uh, a picture of what it could have been like all along. The best days <clears throat> the best days are ahead of us in, when it comes to the millennial kingdom. And then today, we're going to look at the new creation. Uh, this new heaven and this new earth that God is going to create after the period of the uh, of the thousand year reign of Christ. So that's where we've been, and today we're going to kind of camp out in this new creation. This has always intrigued me. Um, 
because I had always just kind of figured what God's going to do is after the, during that thousand year reign, he's going to kind of clean everything up a little bit. We're going to go green for a while. And we're going to, the rivers are going to be cleaned and, and the mountains are going to be pristine and everything's going to happen that way. But that's not the way it works. God is going to melt this earth and this world and remove the stars and the sun and the moon and give us a new heaven and a new earth. And I will tell you, spoiler alert, I will tell you it's a world, a new creation that you and I can't even begin to imagine. Now as we do this, I want you to open the book of Revelation chapter 21. <coughs> But as we do this today, uh, I, I want to kind of take you through nine actions that take place toward the end of time. These are all things we've talked about. Most of them are. Uh, <clears throat> but I want us to kind of go through these nine events, and then we're going to read from Revelation chapter 21. Because I want to set up what we're looking at. <clears throat> kind of timelining this a little bit of end times events. <clears throat> now, this is not to be understood <clears throat> to be exhaustive. This is not to include everything that's out there, but some major things that you and I need to know about uh, about the second coming of Christ, at, about the end of uh, end of time. And I've I've kind of called this message "Everything Old Is New Again." But the video, they gave it the new creation. So I'll go with the new creation. But everything that's old, God is going to remake. The world that you will dwell in for eternity hasn't been made yet. Okay? Now get that, through your, get that into your head a little bit. And maybe you'll see what I'm talking about as we go along. But I want to show you these nine Events are nine things that will happen as we move toward uh, this new creation. <clears throat> First thing we need to know this, is this, that the story of humanity began in the paradise of gardening. When God created man and he created woman, he placed them in the garden. We called it the Garden of Eden. And as you read through the, through the description of it in Genesis chapter 2, for instance, <clears throat> you see that it was paradise. It was un, uh, unharmed in any way from anything that was evil or, or unrighteous or mean or satanic or sinful, any of those kinds of things. Uh, it was perfect and it was pure. In fact, as God made the world that we live in, every time he saw the day, the day's work completed, he'd say, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then he made man, and then he made woman, and he said, that's very good. And he made man, and he made woman in his image, and after his kind. And God <clears throat> said, all of this is good because it's paradise. This is where the story begins in paradise. Now the story is going to end or be fulfilled is probably a better term 
in the paradise of a city. Not the garden, but of a city. <clears throat> that city, just FYI, is going to be called the New Jerusalem. I've got a lot more to say about that in a few moments. But we started off <clears throat> in paradise, <clears throat> and we're going to end, the storyline's going to end in paradise. And, this, and if, if you'll think that logic all the way through, then what you can see is that Perfection is, is made. Man is, is created. Man sins. And man ultimately, however many years later, will end up in the paradise of the city once again. The paradise of God that's provided. And so God has been working at work to prepare man and to prepare the, the place for, for man that, that is going to restore God's original purpose. That's why the uh, uh, that's why the the story of <clears throat> uh, of creation is so important to us to understand. We started off perfect, and we're going to end up in perfection as well. We're not there now, but God is not just going to take this old world and hammer out the dents and give it a new paint job and cleanup job. He's going to replace it with perfection. And it's going to be even greater than the original, than the starting place. You know why? Because in heaven, in that second paradise, only thing that will be there are those who are the redeemed and the righteous ones of God. There will, Satan won't be there. Amen. Satan can't come as a serpent and beguile man and woman again. Man and woman won't be able, will be sinless, and they won't be sinning anymore. And this old world that we see that has resulted in so much meanness and division and all of these things, all that's going to be gone away, done away with, okay? So we see that the story begins and ends in a garden. Second thing, <clears throat> Israel is central. For God's building of his community. In order for God to move us from creation to paradise. All right, he, he needs a people. And he starts, he calls out a people. And those people are, became known as Israel. It started with one man. His name was Abram. In the beginning, God changed his name to Abraham. And Abraham was to... Teach his family and lead his family to be the people of God. They didn't. They weren't a people before, but now they are made to be a people of God. They don't have a land, but they're going to be given a land. They don't have a religion, but they're going to be given a religion. Everything that's going to be necessary <clears throat> for them to be God's community, uh, God is going to make them that because Israel is going to be central to what God's doing. See, God told Abraham... In Genesis chapter 12, I'm, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And since that time, since Abraham said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll, I'll do this. God has been using Israel to bless your life. You wouldn't have that word of God, that Bible in your lap if it weren't for the Jews. <clears throat> we wouldn't have a savior. I, I understand God can do other plans. 
we wouldn't have a savior. Israel was instrumental in bringing Jesus to the world. So people are saved because of Israel. Now, I know, I know that that uh, we've moved on with some of the Israel theology doctrines, but Israel has was promised to be a blessing and central to the community of of God to the people of God. And that's going to continue through the end, uh, throughout this eschatology, these end days that we've been talking about. In that, the great tribulation period is going to be the seventy, the seventieth week of Israel, and we're going to. And I told you, I made this statement. If you want to know what God's up to, watch out for Israel. Keep Israel in, in focus because God is still using Israel as a central point in building His community. Third, a third. Uh, truth that we need to uh, remember is that God gave prophecies to Israel and about Israel and about the end times and almost all of them have been fulfilled. God calls out a people and God says certain things to them, this is what I'm going to do through you and most of those things have been fulfilled, have already been completed. Now, if God is marching toward this ultimate <clears throat> paradise <clears throat> and he's, he's fulfilling promises along the way and let's just say for illustrative purposes that that puts us here and paradise is right here, then we are a lot closer to eternity than we were when it all started. Or when you walked the aisle and gave your life to Jesus, you are closer God's plan and purpose of eternity than you've ever been before. And there's not anything that has to happen before Jesus could appear in the clouds and catch us away. Alright, so that's that's number three in, in this storyline. Uh, <clears throat> number four, <clears throat> Jesus <clears throat> then will return on the clouds <clears throat> to gather his elect, that is the church, from the four corners of the earth. This is spoken of in Matthew 24, but it's also spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When Jesus will come again, and, and uh, theologians and, and Bible scholars oftentimes uh, stipulate that the rapture is a part of the second coming, and a lot of that depends on where you see the rapture happening. Okay? So uh, we talked about the pre-tribulation rapture or the mid-tribulation rapture or the post-tribulation rapture. But oftentimes the rapture is seen as another term, another word for, if you will, the second coming. But the Bible, I think, in Revelation distinctly presents to us that there is a rapture, a tribulation period, and then the second coming or the return of Christ. But the rapture is going to take place prior to, and in a moment I'll say this again, will launch the tribulation, the seven-year, literal seven-year period of time where God's wrath will be poured out on this earth. So uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus is going to come and rapture the church, and when he returns later, he'll bring the church with him. All right? <clears throat> Number five, week 
four, we learn that uh, a seven-year period of great tribulation shall commence with the rapture and it will culminate, lead us to a battle, a worldwide battle on a scale we've never seen before at a valley in northern Israel called Megiddo. And at that valley, the Bible talks about, about the fact that there will be, it'll be preceded by some great heat and great um, uh, famine that is going to dry up the Euphrates River and make it possible for foot soldiers from the east, 200 million of them, to cross the Euphrates and end up, along with all the other armies, <clears throat> all the other kings, to do battle with Israel because by this time, the world has gotten fed up with Israel. They're fed up with God, but they're fed up with Israel because God, Israel is God's, the essential of God's plan. So we eliminate Israel, we can eliminate God. That's the, the logic. And they gather at this valley called Megiddo to do war and to finally, once and for all, rid themselves of Israel. Now I want you to know, even the language that I'm using, that that's not my feeling. I'm, I, I am pro-Israel, and I believe we as a people should be pro-Israel because the Bible says that. I just want to make sure that you don't take me out of context. Hey, the preacher says that everybody that God doesn't, everybody hates Israel. No, I'm saying that that Israel is going to be central again at this battle at Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon. And the reason that's important is because the Battle of Armageddon. Um, is fought differently than you would imagine. If you're going to be facing hundreds of millions of soldiers, you expect that that war is going to either be over with like that and you've been destroyed, or it's going to take a while to destroy. If you're going to win, it's going to take a while to destroy more than 200 million foot soldiers. Even with today's armory, the kinds of Weaponry that we have today is still going to take a little while, but the Battle of Armageddon doesn't. It takes an instant for it to be over. So uh, that's the that's this seven-year tribulation period in a nutshell. Um, the next thing that I want you to see is it is number six at the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus return. Will, will defeat the armies of the earth, the Antichrist, and Satan, and will establish a thousand-year uh, kingdom here on earth where he reigns and he rules. The Bible, we, we studied this about the second coming, how Jesus will appear on this white horse, bringing with him others dressed in white on white horses. That's the church to do battle, plus the armies of heaven the hosts of heaven. And they will gather, they will come with Jesus to do battle uh, in defending Israel and his people. And there will be a sword that comes out of the mouth of the one that rode on the white horse, Jesus, and it will slay the nations. The armies will be destroyed. God has made an arrangement for all the birds to show up and take away as much of the carnage as possible. And then it would take... Elsewhere in scripture it says seven months for all the other uh, destruction to be cleared. 
it happens when a word comes from the mouth of the one on the throne, of the one on the horse. After it said, you'll notice in my, in my wording on the screen, that the armies of the earth are defeated, the Antichrist is defeated, the false prophet is defeated, Satan is bound and cast into prison. The false prophet and the Antichrist are cast into Gehenna, the lake of fire. They become the first inhabitants of the place that was created and designed specifically for Satan. But Satan is put into the abyss and he's held for a thousand years, but he's bound up. And Jesus rules on this earth, sets up a kingdom and rules for a thousand years on this earth. At the end of that time, of course, uh, after the millennium number seven, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. He'll be released for a period of time. He will go out into the world, Satan will, to try to stir up chaos because that's who he is. And he wants nothing, nothing more than to destroy and pervert anything that God is doing or has done. And so Satan uh, is released for a time. He will deceive many people. That tells me that during the, the millennial kingdom, there are going to be some people who are not followers and who do not become believers in Jesus Christ. And when Satan comes back, he's able to round up quite a few folks that haven't become believers in Jesus, even though he's living right there with them. And they're going to, uh, they, they will see his hand, they will see how everything has changed, but they still won't trust him. And they're willing to fight him and uh, with Satan. And Satan is now is defeated and he is cast into the, uh, into the pit, or not into the pit, into, the, uh, into Gehenna uh, with the Antichrist and with the false prophet and with all the demons and they'll be cast away. And, the, and at that time, the dead that are in the earth, those who were not believers in Jesus, will be raised from the dead and will stand before the throne of God at what is called the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, there's going to be one criteria that's going to be discussed, and that is, is your name in the Lamb's book of life? You can't say, well, I, my name's not there, but I was a really good Baptist. I gave lots of money for missions, projects. I spent a lot of time. I worked. I worked in the nursery. You want to talk about being dedicated and committed. And God's going to say, that's not the criteria. Is your name in the book of life? Has there been a time when you have been granted eternal life because of your faith response and what Jesus did on the cross. That the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. There's much more that I could say at that, uh, at that time. Now, I, uh, the point is, we've studied and we've talked about all this and we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of things Hopefully some of the things at least are a little more clear in your way of thinking than they were before we started. But now I want to kind of shift gears. We're still going to talk about some things that are taking place. But now I want to put the 
the cherry on the top with the whipped cream. Okay? We've, we've, we've feasted a lot. Now comes topping. The best part of, of, the, of the ice cream sundae, the topping. You can argue with me if you want. I don't like cherries on top, though, anyway. Um, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, that the place we have been longing for is better by far than anything we could imagine. And he's going to, he's going to tell us, and we're going to read it here in just a moment, about, uh, about how uh, God is going to create heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. And we can't begin to imagine that. So let's look at the cherry and the whipped cream. Let me tell you how this is going to happen, and then we're going to come back and read it. For, uh, number eight, the cosmos. That's the world, all of the created order will melt, will melt away and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. This place that we are standing on right now will be destroyed. It's under a curse. And God's judgment will be on this earth. All of creation is under a curse. And because of it, the Bible says it's been groaning since, since the fall of man. And God is going to send an intense heat to melt this planet. I, 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 I have to tell you, I'm sorry I didn't do some research to find out how hot that's going to be. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how hot lava is. But it's going to be an enormous amount of heat that's going to cause the elements of this world to melt. And by the way, I might also say not just the elements, not just the rudimentary elements, not just the rocks and the dirt, everything on this planet. The things that become traps for us to chase after instead of pursuing God are going to be done away with. You understand that? You understand that your swimming pool and your second uh, house at the lake and that $75,000 automobile, all those things are going to be melted. They're going to be done away with. Uh, and then we're going to kind of feel probably a little bit silly for living for them, aren't we? But understand that the earth and the world is going to melt away and, and God is going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read to you what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This earth is going to be melted done away with and replaced by a new heaven uh, and a new new earth. 
A new creation is God's ultimate design and his ultimate desire. I really believe the heart of God is to get everything back to perfection. It was all stolen by Satan and sin. And God wants to restore us to where we're going to be dwelling in a perfect paradise. Just as Adam and Eve were before the sin. And that we will live forever in eternity in this perfect place. Not just in this whole lot better place than where we are now. I'm thinking as I'm saying this about, about Jesus the night before he died. Told his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house there are all these rooms. I'm going out to prepare one just for you. And if I do that, I will come back and I will gather you up and I will take you to that place. So that where I am there you can be also. And for all eternity in that new heaven, that place of perfection, we will dwell with the Lamb and with one another and with God forever. Cosmos is going to be melted. This whole thing is going to go away. Um, Any of you longing for that? Have these last 16 months made you wish for a better world? Do you know that you were made for a better world than this? God made you in his image just as he did Adam and Eve. And his plan is not to, not to let you spend eternity in a get by, the, get by by the skin of your teeth world. But it's going to be in eternity in perfect paradise. That's where we're headed. That's where everything is headed. Uh, and then verse number nine. And then I'm going to get in, believe it or not, to the text. The new creation, this new heaven and this new earth that we're talking about will have a new city. And that new city is called the new Jerusalem. Now, there's a Jerusalem now. It is the center of hot, and a hotbed of conflict and war and turmoil. Am I right? Almost every day on the news, even in this nation that we live in, where there is so much raunchy stuff taking place and so many horrible news cycles, almost daily something comes out of Jerusalem. Something's happening there. That Jerusalem is going to eventually be destroyed. It's going to be melted away. But God is going to make in this new creation a new city. And wait until you hear it described, what it's like. All right, now. You're in, uh, you're in Revelation chapter 21. I want, us, I want to do something a little different today. Now the video crew doesn't believe me when I say this, that I'm just going to read the scriptures. I'm not going to have points along the way. Well, I will have a few comments as we go. But for the most part, I want you to hear what the Bible says about this new creation. What does God say about this new city, this new Jerusalem, and how all this will take place? And we have it in Revelation chapter 21 and the first part of chapter 22. So I'm going to read. I may make some comments.
comments as we as we go, but I want you to hear what the Bible has to say. Now, put on your glasses that enable you to see more than just words on the page. Hear them. Hear the words. Hear it try, hear the word of God try to explain what this inexplicable world is going to be like. And you're going to have to imagine a little bit in order to do that. Alright? Look what he says. In verse 1 he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And also there was no more sea. Let me stop long enough to just tell you what the sea is. Because it's, it's really pretty hard to have a world like we have now without water. Okay? But the sea, this, this reference to the sea, uh, in prophecy has a lot of different images. It rep it's representative of Gentiles, for one thing. Remember, the Antichrist was the beast that came out of the sea. And that partly meant that he was the Antichrist that would come from the sea of, or from the people of the Gentiles. But for the people in the Middle East, the sea people, the people that, that worked up and down that Mediterranean Sea, when they came to Israel or Canaan, they were coming there to fight them, to defeat them, to destroy them. Many of them are coming from Europe or some of them from Northern Africa and they're coming into this Middle East land. And so the, the sea was representative of, for them of a place that you might call terror. A place where horrors would take place because these, these conquerors are going to come in and do battle and seek to destroy them. The Philistines were called the people of the sea. That's because probably they, many people say that the, the Philistines came out of northern Europe uh, and settled in this uh, in this area down south or out near Israel by the coast and they were marauders they were invaders they were a, a difficult people to dwell amongst so that's what what you have there's no more sea there's nothing to be afraid of anymore no more terror no more surprise attacks all of that has been done away there's no more see going on then i john saw the new the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband i remember thinking to myself how do you get to this new city what's the roadmap going to be to get there you know what you're not going to have to go to it god's going to bring it to you it's coming down out of heaven and it is adorned as it's as the bride is adorned for her husband. Now, I want you to hold on to that imagery because it's going to come up again in a moment, all right? Uh, and I'll save it for then. Um, I heard a loud voice, verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men. It's no, it will no longer be he's in heaven and we're here. And we experience him by faith. We're going to be together forever and forever. And so he says, he will be uh, with them, they will be his people, uh, and he himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Uh, and um, I, well, I'm going to read on that one. The one, uh, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make everything new. And he said to me, Write, write that down. John, I can imagine John seeing this and just standing there going, Seeing, seeing, getting God giving him a vision of this new city. And it's kind of like, I remember being in seminary class and sometime my professor would say something like, you better write that down, that's going to be on the test. You know, it's kind of like you're listening to, oh, write this down, John. This is important. These words, these things that I'm saying about God wiping away the tears from their eyes, no more death, no more sorrow, um, no more pain, all those things that pass away, write that down because the words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. Now, the one that John is talking to is an angel. Okay, If you look in your Bible, if you've got a red letter edition, you will not find the words of chapter 21 in red. This is not the word that is spoken by the Lamb on the throne or by God. But it is spoken, it is spoken by one of the messengers of God. And this angel that delivers this message was one of the ones that poured out the seven bowls of wrath uh, on, the, on the earth. And in fact, I believe the same one in chapter 17 verse 1 said a very similar thing to what's going to be said here. Uh, he's going to say, come and look. Behold, I'm going to show you that city Babylon and how it's being destroyed. But then he says, come and look. I want you to see here the new city, Jerusalem, and how it's adorned as a bride for, the, uh, for her husband. And the picture that you have there is that contrast the destruction of the world with this new uh, new created order that God has. But then he says it is done. It seems to me like I've heard that said before somewhere in the Bible. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and at the time when he was ready to, to expire when his, when his sacrifice had been completed he said what? It is done. I want you to know that's a different word than the word that's used here. Isn't that interesting? Now let me tell you why, and you don't even know it yet. It is done in the Gospels. Tetelestai is a word that is a financial term that says the final entry has been made. The debt has been paid. You no longer, because of what Jesus did, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you are no longer responsible for the debt of sin that you owe God. That's not the word that's used here. This is a word that means it's over. It's done. It's finished. Kaput. End of story. Nothing else follows this. And when he says all these things have happened because, this is my paraphrasing, because what you see around you what you've lived in your world 
God says, I have finished with it. I'm not going to, that's no, it's no longer a thing to deal with. It's over. That's what he means. It's finality. It, it tells us that the price that Jesus paid has now swept so far into eternity and it is now everything done away with. That's exciting, isn't it? That's what is awaiting for us. He said, uh, uh, he, he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Now remember, this is, this is uh, the angel speaking. He is delivering what God told him to say. Exactly, word for word. Because he might have said it is done. And I quote, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I, give, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now remember, this is taking place after that great white throne judgment. And there at that time, all of those souls, spirits of persons throughout the ages that rejected the, the offer that God gave them of redemption and salvation. All of those will be cast in a place they were never intended to be. We were intended to be in paradise, but we were never intended to be in Gehenna. But because we have rejected, we go there with Satan. It's, a, it's an awesome Kind of thought to realize uh, and all this is done it's completed it's over then he says and one of the one of the angels seven angels who had the this is verse nine had the seven bowls filled with seven last plagues came to me and said come i will show you the bride the lamb's wife now this one was a little intriguing to me because He's not going to show him a picture of the church. And I had always seen the bride of Christ as being the church. And that's true. But remember, God came and took the church out. Uh, and he's going, and now the bride becomes, I think, all the redeemed of all ages. Not just the, those who are redeemed through the ministry of the church, but those who are redeemed during the plague. During the tribulation time or during the millennial kingdom uh, years, those persons who are believers, while the church is with, with the Lamb, now they are part of the same family. So the bride is the host of all of those who have made Jesus Christ the Savior and the Lord of their life. Even not just the church that was taken out, but these other ones since then. And so he says, I want you to see uh, the bride, the lamb's wife. And he took me away and he showed me in the spirit a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. The city's light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she... The city, this new Jerusalem, 
had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names that are written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, of the children of Israel, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, there's more 12s to go. And in biblical prophecy, the number 12 is completion. Thorough completion. Now, this new city uh, is going to be measured out, and uh, and it's, it, there's going to be the one that was talking with him, the angel, had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. Get this imagery. Laid out as a square. And it's going to be described, though, as a cube. Width, breadth, height. Now, some scholars say that it's not a cube, it's a pyramid. But all four sides of this pyramid are equal. I don't exactly know what to do, but I think it's a, it's a cube because that's the way the imagery seems to seems to fit. Uh, and when he measured it, it measured twelve thousand furlongs. Quick, who knows how long a furlong is? Is it a city? Nope. It's an eighth of a mile. It's a, it's a made of a. It's called a stata in the Roman numerical system uh, and if you take uh, an eighth of a mile I, uh, it, and you multiply it by being 12,000 furlongs, it comes out roughly between 14,000 and 15,000 uh, uh, miles. That's not right. Uh, 1,400. 1,400 and 1,500 miles. Roughly to give you an image, that's roughly the distance from the Canadian border of the United States to the Texas border of the United States, and from the Appalachian Mountains to the uh, eastern uh, border of California. That's nearly as big as the United States, and then it's going to be 12,000 furlongs, 1,500 miles high. When I was in New York City, we're doing a, uh, a mission trip there. And we, we went to study this area, uh, this part of town in the Jamaican part of town, because we were studying the Jamaican. And they had built some high-rise, for lack of a better word, tenement apartments. And, and the, the pastor said, in those four buildings that are out there, there are more than a million people living there. These were like 20 stories high. They were massive, small apartments. And... They, I thought, man, these people are just kind of living on top of one another. That's kind of the picture that's here, except it doesn't stop at 20 stories. It goes up to 600,000 stories. I mean, if, if every story is 12, 12 furlongs. This is a massive city. And I think that I... That I I think that I remember that in New York City, there were 27 people per square mile. Uh, that, that doesn't sound right, but, uh, but it's going to, can you imagine in a city that big, 
it can easily hold billions of people on the ground floor or the top two or the bottom three or four floors. And But all of the believers of the ages are going to dwell together in that place. It's a massive, massive city. And not only that, but it, uh, uh, it, it tells us a little bit about what it's made out of. And we're not going to read those because there are 12 stones that become the foundations for these massive walls. Um, but then, but I want you to jump down to verse 22. It said, uh, John noted, I saw no temple in it. Saw no temple. That's an unusual thing for a Middle Easterner to say. Every place had a temple, had something, some God they were worshiping. But they said, he says, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into it. But the point that he's making there with that is, but in reality, they may have all sorts of places of honor and position on this earth, but in heaven, you're just as important if you're the small child as you are if you're the king over millions. You see, uh, there's going to be an equality of, of persons that have been divided and, and separated over the centuries. For various reasons, all of that's going to break down now. <clears throat> Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There's no night there, so that means the gates are always open. The gates were spoken of, because one of the verses that we skipped over, as being pearls. Each gate was a pearl. Now, if you can walk, if you, if you have a pearl that's big enough for people to walk through, That's a big pearl. That'd be valuable, extremely valuable. And they got 12 of them there. But the, those are the gates. But the gates are never shut. They're, they've got to be there then for ornamentation. Just to give you a picture of the value of the place where we're going to be living. <clears throat> it says, uh, uh, the gates will not be shut by night or by day and there's no night. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to, I want to do as if we were reading this scroll when it was officially or originally written, and that is go right on. Because chapter 22 is just a continuation. I want to read five verses and then we'll be through. <clears throat> As he showed me a pure river of water, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. You, have, you ever, have you heard of the tree of life before? Remember what that was? 
in the garden there were two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says, that's forbidden. You cannot eat from that. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, the day you eat of it, you'll die, they die. They didn't die physically, but they were separated from God. And God said, let's do this. Let's remove the, the tree of life. Otherwise, they will eat of it, and they will live forever in their sinful state. And so God removed the tree from the garden, and it shows up in the paradise to come. And it says that in this tree of life, it bore 12 fruits. That's, that's unheard of uh, when it comes to uh, to plants that they produce after their own kind. Isn't that right? Twelve different fruits will come from this from this tree. Each tree will yield its fruit every month. That's unheard of. You know, we are we're almost in tomato season. And the only thing I know of that grows tomatoes are tomato plants. And most of the year is not growing tomatoes. Here every month it will grow fruit, and every tree will, will produce other kinds of fruit than what the tree is. That, that, it's kind of mind-blowing to see it work that way. But each tree is going to yield its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there will be. Well, listen to this, because this is key here. There shall be no more curse. Since man sinned in the garden, everything was put under a curse, and we're in the process of dying. But now in this new heaven, the new earth, there is no more curse, no more sin, no more sadness, no more evil, no more potential for all those things. There's no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will serve him. Boy, there's a novel. We won't have to have church to talk, try to talk people into doing something for God's kingdom. The servants will serve. And they, uh, verse 24, they shall see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and they shall reign forever and forever. That, my friends, is our eternal home. That's where we are that's where it all is going to culminate. All this other stuff that we've been dealing with and going through, it's over. When we get to heaven, no more of that. Now we spend eternity with God in the place where he intended us to be all along. Now here's where I, I told you earlier that I got overwhelmed. This is where I got overwhelmed. Because as I sat back and I rethought about all the things that I had typed on this outline thing, I, I sat back and I, I said, he did that for me. He has gone through an awful lot. If I were in charge, aren't you glad I'm not? If I were in charge, Adam and Eve sin, start over. Flatten it all out, take the Play-Doh out, and do it again. But God didn't do that because God loved me. He knew I was going to be coming down the road several thousand years. And he wanted me to end up in the place he intended 
for you and you and you and you to end up here. And he has been at work every moment of every day, as if there's time and eternity, but every, he has constantly been working to pursue me and to bring me to the place he cre created me to be. And he made it all possible. But here's the deal. That's not just true of me. It's true for you. And that's true for every person who has ever existed. He's at work to bring about redemption. Let me ask you. Remember what we read a moment ago? Nothing's going to get in there except those whose names are in the book of life. Is your name written there? Is your name in the book? Because that's what it all comes down to. If, if your name's not in the book, all this is is a very long, exhaustive study. But if your name's in the book, and you know it's in the book, you can go out of here today knowing, that's where I'm in. This world ain't my home. I'm just passing through. If heaven's not my home, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shores, and I can't be at home in this world. Let's, uh, would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, again, we are overwhelmed at your greatness and your goodness, but also your, and your majesty, your sovereignty to bring about all these things, but also, Father, at your mercy and your grace and your long-suffering uh, goodness to us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve this kind of home, but I thank you, Father, that you have provided it for us. Make us worthy of your efforts. Make us to be those who are serving you now and preparing for eternity. Father, if there's one that's here in this room, one that's watching by way of video, that has not, has not trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior on a personal level, not that their mom or your dad or your grandma or grandpa uh, have made that commitment, but that they have made that commitment. Father, there's one. Speak to their hearts right now and cause them, cause them to seek you out and receive your forgiveness. So have your way in our hearts, Father. And, uh, and Father, may your, may your work continue. Jesus, I pray it.